Welcome to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. My name is Jess Hanam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a great show today. There's a lot to cover from the Middle East to domestic politics. But I think in terms of breaking news, we need to talk about the situation in Turkey. Within the last 48 hours, the Turkish government, with the approval and the blessing of U.S. President Donald Trump, have initiated a massive uh, military campaign at the Turkish-Syrian border from the Turkish perspective and the Turkish narrative, it's an attempt to root out Kurdish terrorists who have been infiltrating, in collaboration with the PKK, have been infiltrating Turkish uh, sovereignty, according to the Turkish government. And the Turkish government has decided in an act of uh, self-defense to initiate military exercises against the uh, Kurdish forces at the border. This is very complicated. Uh, This has been at the behest of Donald Trump. He's been roundly criticized not only by Democrats, but also by Republicans, Republican senators like Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, and others, as well as former military advisors, have all come out against Donald Trump doing this military incursion. And also the EU primarily has been firmly against this. So, Jamal, here we are in the midst of yet another major destabilization in the region at the hands of Donald Trump. I think for our listeners well, we and our viewers, yeah, let's give it more context. Yeah, so, um, you know, just to give it more context, the Turkish military confirmed on Wednesday, which is yesterday, that had launched the land operation. Now, so they moved into the land operation into the east of the Euphrates River, and they're moving to Syria and, uh, you know, from like part of, from Iraq, to kind of into Syria and then directly from Turkey. And they said they have been targeting 181 uh, targets, militant targets. This is according to them, right? Right. So now the big issue, there is an uproar, of course, in the international community, not just, uh, not just uh, at the U.S. Congress and um, right here in the United States, especially about the U.S. and its decision to leave the Kurds that fought and defeated ISIL. This is the narrative. Right, but that the narrative we'll come is back to that, that the Kurds fought and defeated ISIS, losing 11,000 of their own people at uh, the mercy of uh, Turkey. Uh, and then now they're risking to reboot ISIL's fighters in camps controlled uh, by the Kurds and the complete destabilization of uh, one of the few functioning areas of Syria with the ensuing movement of uh, new refugees. This is the official statement. I was paraphrasing from the official statement to why there seems to be or allegations of a betrayal. I mean, it's, it's a different thing by but the Trump is, administration. So this is the thro- Kurdish statement. Th- yeah, throwing, throwing, yes, it is throwing the Kurds under the bus. Right. And, of course, Trump didn't help himself, uh, you know, in his justification, if you watch that on the news yesterday, for not protecting the Kurds, because he said they didn't come to help the U.S. in Normandy during World War II. That made my head spin. I have no idea what he's talking uh, about. He's like, is he getting, is he confused? Does he think that maybe... 
Kurdistan is in Italy or in France or in Europe, why would the Kurds go all the way as if they had a state or as if they had the capabilities to fight during World War II? But it's a whole different thing. And this kind of like a kind of like one of his nonsensical statements that he actually said. But actually, let's talk about the autonomous administration of Northeast Syria, uh, which normally is referred to as NES in the military terminology, often referred to as the uh, Rojava or Rojava, Rojava district, uh, which is supposedly the de facto autonomous region in Northeastern Syria under the control of the Kurds, right? But Kurd, this is not an autonomous country. Well, if we want to go back to the history, Kurdistan was one of the victims of the Sykes-Picot agreement, just like Palestine. Palestine later on. Right. So, so the whole aspiration for the Kurdish nation. So just to give our listeners an idea, what technically would be Kurdistan has parts in Iran, parts in Turkey, parts in Syria, and parts in Iraq. Right. So the country was part of the Sykes-Picot Agreement. If you're not familiar with the Sykes-Picot Agreement, this is when the colonial powers, France and UK. the UK, um, took over the remnants of the Ottoman Empire and decided to divide the Arab world between between them who controlled, the fr French controlled most, most of North Africa, greater Syria, the Brits controlled Palestine, Jordan, Egypt, and other, you know. So when they divided the loot and drew or withdrew the map of the Middle East, they took Kurdistan out of the equation exactly. and divided it amongst these, amongst these countries. And ever since, uh, the Kurds had their national aspiration, just like the Palestinians, to reunite their countries or form a state. So their first letdown. And so let's talk about letdowns. Okay, so before we get to letdowns, well, I assume you're going to go through this because yes. this is not the first letdown. No, because it's very important to go. Because this is the third or the fourth letdown. Well, the first letdown was the Sykes-Picot. So they right. kind of got, they were the sacrificial lambs, one of the sacrificial lambs of the Middle East. The major other letdown was after the invasion of Iraq by George W. Bush. Because, 1981. Because he, again, promised them an independent state. It, it's not actually, uh, it's not in writing that he promised them, but that was the direction. That's why they formed a kind of a uh, security zone, right. no-fly zone, all these things. And actually that area is threatened. It's not, it's not the, the land of milk and honey that they promised them it would be because now... You know, even though initially they had some autonomy, they don't have it anymore. And they, and, and they had That's some security. True. They don't have it. Now, the other components, one part is in Iran. And Iran, they have no control over anything in Iran. They're under the Iranian Islamic yeah, Republic. Yeah, but they're, they're Kurdish Iranians. They're Kurdish Iranians. but They speak Farsi they're, and their own language. They're a little bit left alone. But, right. But, but let's be fair. They are not 100% equal citizens. Right. And similarly, in Turkey, in Turkey is the most problematic because in Turkey, now you have a militarized uh, movement 
to secede from Turkey. It has been going on for ages. That's the PKK. That's the PKK. And the PKK is recognized even by the United States as a terrorist organization. They have performed terrorist acts in Istanbul, in Ankara. They've hit targets. They've killed civilians. They've tried to kidnap politicians. They've assassinated politicians. That's right. So they have a bloody history uh, with Turkey that actually Turkey chased after PKK fighters into Iraq before, right. bombed, bombed them into Iraq. Now it's kind of in Iraq, they have a better, Erdogan has a better relationship with the Kurds in, in Iraq than he used to before. The only time these relationship gets strained is when they hide PKK fighters. So let's take you but to Syria. Okay, but can we just give me one minute to just do a little bit more context. Okay. In the 1981 Gulf War, which, you know, under George Bush the senior, not only did it decimate Iraq and parts of Kuwait, and the promise of the Kurds was a, was a little bit more complicated, Jamal. He didn't exactly promise autonomy, but what he did promise was protection. And one of the things ha that happened after the Americans withdrew from Iraq and Kuwait in 1981 is that many thousands of Kurds were massacred upon the American withdrawal. Now, a very similar thing is happening, uh, again, because there's the promise of security, there has been cooperation, and what the Kurds rightfully are concerned about after all these promises um, is that if the Americans withdraw from Syria, the same thing is going to befall them. And if you just look superficially, it looks like the rug has been pulled out again. Now, it's very complicated because we know there's a lot of diversity among Kurdish factions and mm. Kurdish identities, which we'll get into. And let's not forget that the factions within Syria are also very complicated. For our listeners and viewers, we're going to cover all of that today. Yeah, well, here is the problem, actually. So all these, look, when I talked about the different uh, Kurdish cities and towns and areas or provinces within these different countries. Every country is unique. Iran is unique, Turkey is unique, Iraq is unique, and Syria. And historically, the Kurds in Syria have been left alone. They've actually... They got a good... They, get, they were treated they, well. They, they, they were treated well. They were part of the regime, part of the Assad regime. They served in the military. They pretty much had an autonomous existence. They weren't harassed, like, for example, as much as they were harassed in, in, Ira Turkey. in Iraq. Right. So when they... This whole mayhem broke in Syria, they've stayed neutral, and they took on arms when their villages became threatened by ISIS fighters and others, and others, by the way. Initially, they took the position to be with uh, Bashar al-Assad, and they were they thought, like, our country is getting invaded, right? So this also brings me to the discussion, like, all these people who are now condemning Turkey and saying, you know, Turkey has violated the sovereignty of Syria. It's more complicated. Come on. More complicated. I see, I saw them silent about, I mean, imagine... There were UAE planes bombing coming all the way from the United Arab Emirates bombing right. Syria. No one said a word. That's right. NATO bombed Syria. The United States bombed Syria. The Russians are in Syria. Israel bombed Syria. Iranians are Iranians in Syria. Iranians are in <laughs> Syria. And now all of a sudden you're talking about protecting the sovereignty 
of Syria. It's it's a total joke. It is a joke. It's a total joke. But but I mean, I'm not saying we are encouraging or we are supporting. No, we're just giving this, context. But this is the context. So now with you know, and again, it's very important to know the context of the for, of the PKK because. The PKK is different. This is when the PKK started to get involved than the normal, regular Kurdish Syrian citizens. But, you know, and that's kind of what flipped the whole equation. Because for four decades, just the PKK had had led uh, terrorist campaigns against Turkey. They killed tens of thousands of soldiers and civilians in bomb attacks, assassinations, and kink- and kidnappings. And it has been, and I have I repeat that, and still is, recognized as a terrorist organization by the United States. And they had actually campaigned to change this for many years here. The European Union, and of That's course, right. Turkey. But in recent years now, thanks to their P- PR machine, you know, they have uh, and campaign and favorable media coverage. And they have been winning the support of many politicians in the United States, analysts and journalists, because they're, they're, the, these analysts and so-called pundits are not trying to kind of discuss the history of the PKK no. and how they have actually negatively affected the Kurdish Syrian population. Can we? You know, in, in Syria, that, that they brought the battle out of Turkey because their battle was in Turkey they brought it to Syria. To Syria. So, so that's this is very important to understand this. There is a difference because there is a myth about that Turkey is fighting the Kurds, and that's what we keep hearing in the media. No, Kurds are not synonymous with the PKK. This is very important. Right, but there's at least four factions. We think there's more. And just to add another complexity, Jamal, historically, after the second Gulf War, when Iraq was supposed to come under its own sovereign control. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what happened? They allowed an autonomous part of the Kurdish regime in parts of Iraq to be separated from the rest of Iraq, which further destabilized Iraq. Tell the, today where we have an autonomous Kurdish region in Iraq, which has the oil, has its separate you know, mm-hmm. independent functioning, but there is a struggle still in Iraq among the Kurds. So right. this situation is very complex. Now, let's talk about the Kurds in Syria from these four different areas and what they did with ISIL. It's a big story. Well, first of all, I just, again, maybe I'm repeating this for the second or third time. The Kurds, Fourth time, it's okay. The Kurds are not synonymous with the PKK. No. In fact, Turkey is home to the largest ethnic Kurdish population. So out of all these countries, I forgot to mention that, that, that Turkey has the largest ethnic Kurdish population in the world. But isn't it fair Not to s- In the world. But isn't it also fair to say that some Turkish Kurds don't support the PKK? Many they don't support. And also, I also important to say that also Kurdish Turks also have issues in Turkey. But it doesn't mean that they are terrorists or there are also amongst the population, even though they live there and they, they, uh, they still had issues because, to, to, you know, issues about speaking their language, teaching their language in schools but yeah, and but a lot like of things. But that's a difference. But they are not, 
you know, fighting the government and engaged in terrorist acts, right? So then you're talking about Syria. So there is the myth that I think it's a myth that the PKK affiliated the YPG defeated Daesh, in other words, or ISIL, right? Daesh is ISIL. That's the Arabic word for ISIS. ISIL, it's called Daesh. The fight against ISIS or ISIL or Daesh involved many factions, more than a dozen armed groups, actually, and countries have been, including Russia. Russia has been hitting them from the air. And Turkey. Turkey also has been hitting them from the air. And other groups, the Free Syrian Army, the Syrian Army, the regular Syrian Army of Bashar al-Assad, and others. So to say, you know, like... Oh, you know, those are the ones who helped us to defeat. No, it's not true. It's not true. It wasn't, you know, they were one of many groups fighting Daesh in Syria. So that's another thing that I think it's very important because this is how it's kind of being portrayed. And, and frankly, if the other groups did not interfere and if Russia did not inf- interfere from the air, started bombing from the air, took over basically where NATO has left. The ISIS would have advanced into Absolutely. the Tur- into into uh, the Kurdish areas, Absolutely. just like they've done in other in other areas. And then the other thing is, and this is something, I'm I'll stay neutral at this because I really cannot guess the intentions of uh, Erdogan because <laughs> sometimes he says something. And he does something else. Absolutely. But now at least everybody's gone of kind of gung ho and saying that he has the intentions of occupying Syria or parts of Syria. We don't know. Yes, uh, the initial operation started uh, by air, and now he's going to be he's putting boots on the ground. Now, if is this an isolated uh, area where he's going after the PKK? Only time will are tell. Are they going to stay there for the long run? And, and that's a big question. So I'm not going to go and pass judgment and say that Turkey is uh, interested into uh, occupying Tyria, the, uh, Syria and they are creating a security zone. Now, let me guess who always says I'm, gonna, I'm creating a security zone and nobody jumps up in arms in Congress. I wonder who that is. Could it be Israel? Aha. Uh-huh. So when Israel invaded Lebanon, what were their intentions? Security Occupying, zone. And they occupied south, south of Lebanon. Lebanon. For years. I didn't see the United States or the United States Congress jumping into action or NATO or the European Union. The European Union wasn't. Or the Golan Heights. Or, anyway. or now when they're annexing the Golan Heights because they need it for their own security mm-hmm. or creating buffer zones. Israel is the only country in the Middle East that constantly does two things, preemptive attacks, and then the other thing, creating security zones, be it Gaza locking an entire population in the largest open-air prison, or the occupation of southern Lebanon, or the occupation of the Golan Heights. So Turkey, like, actually, they're taking a cue and a lesson from Israel and doing the same thing. Well, of course, and we hope that Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell will be equally critical of the Israelis for creating their security zones, whether it, you know, what they did in Lebanon, as you said, but also in Golan and, and in the West Bank. So, Jamal, we, we have three other big issues that we need to integrate with this. Definitely. And the two other, one of the three issues is this. 
How is it that Donald Trump even agreed against the advice of the Pentagon and the military, against his strongest political supporters, on his own decides that he wants to give Turkey the, the, the green light to do this? I think you know this, but there are two Trump Towers in, in uh, Turkey, not just one Trump Tower, but two Trump Towers. And in fact, in an interview in 2015, when Donald Trump was asked about Erdogan and the Turks and some of the things that were going on with the Kurds and the PKK, Trump said in this interview, and this is almost a direct quote, uh, there's a bit of a conflict of interest. I don't know how to answer that because I have two Trump Towers in Turkey. So that's number one. Number two, do you know how many refu Syrian refugees there are in Turkey right now, Jamal? How many? Almost three and a half million. That's right. Almost three and a half million Syrian refugees living in refugee camps in or on the border or close to the border with Syria in Turkey, Jamal. This is a huge um, not only humanitarian crisis, but economic crisis for Turkey. And irrespective of what you believe about Erdogan and, and, and uh, Turkey, they have taken these refugees in without substantial help from the EU, even though the EU has promised Turkey financial and humanitarian support, it has not been realized. The third topic, Jamal, this is really, really important, is that the Kurdish forces, Jamal, run the prisons in Syria that house up to 10,000 ISIL-ISIS fighters. These conditions, and I know a little bit about these prisons. I've actually interviewed a number of people who have been in these prisons. These are hardcore for the most part. Not everybody, but well over 50% are hardcore ISIL-ISIS fighters being monitored and maintained by the Kurt. Um, horrible human rights abuses going on. These, these, these uh, detainees are horribly tortured. My point being, Jamal, if this situation erupts and uh, these prisons are breached, you're going to unleash in the area around 10,000 ISIL-ISIS fighters into this area that is already destabilized, already kind of shaky, and they will have easier access to the rest of the Middle East and Europe. So these are other complications. I think, one, we should talk a little well, bit about— Well, we're just talking about the prisoners because yeah. this is very important yeah. and the torture sites that they have there, but also there are reports that uh, at least since sept uh, as of September of this year— Estimates suggest that upwards of 3,000 people have disappeared under the PKK and the YPG control. It's not disappeared. And that, that number includes 631 children yeah. and 172 uh, women. Uh, and they have been recruiting. That's another complaint that you hear. That they have been recruiting children to fight within its ranks. They've been looting Syrian oil and ethnically cleansing that area, the areas that they've been occupying from Arabs and, uh, you know, basically Syrian citizens al yes. also. And uh, which, by the way, uh, the Am Amnesty International uh, has condemned. 
Well, it's a very complex situation. And, and when you say disappeared, Jamal, I think that's putting it kindly. That's a kind way of Amnesty International basically saying that the majority of them have been killed. Most yeah. likely. Well, I mean, definitely, we, what we know, I mean, at least, and this, that's why it's more complex, but for sure Trump threw them under the bus. But, but Jamal, I it's mean, not that he threw the Kurds under the bus. He, he threw everybody under the bus. Th- you know, it's one of— Not just the Kurds, because, you know, the Israelis supported the Kurds. Well, now, actually, the, for the first time, Benjamin Netanyahu condemned this act, and he said he's going to be— or Israel is going to be engaged in humanitarian which means uh, action to which, help the Kurds. And I'm saying, boy, that's, I mean, you want to do any humanitarian work, Gaza just around the corner. Exactly. But I'm just saying that uh, he, Trump threw the Kurds under the bus. He threw uh, American foreign policy under the bus. He th- has thrown probably large numbers of our own military under the bus who act as security advisors in these areas in, in Syria. And I'll say it again, Jamal. The military was against this. His supporters are against this. Um, there's some sort of, we're going to find out, I, I have a hunch, that because of the dealings that he has, personal dealings of the Trump organization, having two hotels in Turkey, that basically there was another political or economic quid pro quo here, where basically Erdogan said, you have hotels, I have these needs, you need to give me a pass. It's, it's one, but also Turkey is a NATO member. Turkey has been... But not a, a, full, has, not a full NATO yeah, member. Yeah, but they have been... Uh, they, uh, they're an ally of the United States. I mean, the whole... One of the well, aren't the Kurds uh, fronts to confront the USSR? The, by but, the way, but aren't the Kurds in the past was in the, Turkey? But aren't the Kurds uh, ally of the United States? That's what they say. That's what they say. That's what Lindsey Graham says. That's what Lindsey Graham says <laughs> for political reasons, but not as much. They've never been as an effective ally of the United States to have an entire country strategically located, a government that has NATO bases in it and American bases. Right. The purchase is weapon from the United States that during the Cold War, they allowed us to put weapon, uh, missiles targeting the USSR. Right. That's one of one, one, the right. main reason why we had right. the whole Cuban missile crisis as a retaliation. But from, I think, you know, he's, you know, but he has thrown the Israelis under the bus because the Israelis have been supporting this whole thing with the Kurds. You know that. They've been... In terms of whatever the Kur- the complexity of the Kurdish situation in that region, uh, they have been supporting supporting Kurdish efforts to destabilize the region, and now the Kurds are further going to be, you know, harassed and destabilized. My question is, where are the Kurdish forces going to go? They're going to abandon most likely these detention facilities that are, that hold these ISIS fighters or ISIL fighters, and where are they going to go, Jamal? Are they going to go? Uh, back into Turkey? Probably not. Are they going to go deeper into Syria? Maybe. Where are they going to go? You're going to have yet another significant humanitarian destabilized region. Mm-hmm. So I think we have a couple of things. The region will get more destabilized. You have Donald Trump in the middle of an impeachment hearing is acting against what the Pentagon has said. His military leaders have said. Everybody is kind of saying, hey, what the heck are you doing? And so we're finding ourselves, Jamal, deeper mm-hmm. into global political and economic chaos because of one 
person. You're right. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. And we also welcome our viewers on Facebook Live. By the way, we're trying a new stream on Facebook Live. It looks like we're getting some positive feedback to our new streaming uh, structure on Facebook Live, Jamal. So we're glad that our viewers are, are enjoying it. So on the topic of Donald Trump... Do we have to, Jamal? Outside... But do we feel like we cover... I, don't th we I have think to we're going to be ta talking about it uh, every because, week. Because, you know, this is going to be a... It is. This is going to be a massacre. It is, because... A lot of people are going to die. Well, they're, they're, they are already dying. Yeah. I mean, because uh, when you bomb from the air... You know, these bombs don't discriminate between uh, PKK children. fighters and innocent civilians and children. And I've saw, I saw some horrific pictures. And, but again, I fault this whole proxy war. So don't try to just point the finger at, at Turkey and ignore all the players in this proxy war, starting with NATO and uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar and the UAE and, and, and France Iran and, and all Russia, these countries. Everybody, yeah. Maybe this is Syria is is just like it's you know, you know this whole idea of trying to get rid of the Assad regime turned the country into a proxy war. I mean, this is what it is. It's same thing. The same thing is happening now in uh, Libya. So my feeling is Jamal. Before we go to uh, the impeachment, if you think that what the United States did in Iraq during the first Gulf War was a complete disaster. What's happening now in Syria is going to be 10 times worse. So everybody has to be fully aware that this decision by Donald Trump today is going to facilitate a destabilization that's going to unleash things with unintended consequences, in my opinion, that will be far worse than what we're seeing. Well, do you think it is far worse to have to disengage from Syria for the United States? I mean, it's already a mess. I know that the United States played a part like everyone else, but I don't think actually, I really don't think that this is going to make a difference. Yes, it, they've, we've given the green light to Turkey to go after the PKK and some of the terrorist fighters that it deems terrorist. But the 300 soldiers that protecting some areas that Donald Trump withdrew. And anyway, remember there was a drawdown right. since Obama. Right. I don't think the United States, aside from interfering by air and by cruise missiles and whatever, hitting a target here and there, they've had an important role. We've already kind of destabilized the country. You have so many players, just the whole idea, the whole, once we kind of put Bashar al-Assad as a target, and we didn't care about the population, and we didn't care about the consequences, and we didn't think it through that uh, right. the Syria-Iraq border was porous, that the Turkey-Syria Turkey border was porous, and invited all these foreign fighters, which, by the way, were funded by Saudi Arabia. That's right. They bought them their guns. That's they bought right. them their Toyota trucks, the same ones that they were running around all over the Iraq, uh, uh, and, Iraq Libya. and Libya. Right. They came pouring into Syria, and after it has become the horrible situation it is now, everybody's saying, well... You know, let's pin 
you know, the tail on the donkey, that's, oh, maybe now it's Erdogan. No, And I'm not, not a defender of Erdogan. We're not. It's actually, from the get-go, it was the United States played a major role along with Arab allies like Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE because they were so zealot uh, about getting rid of Bashar al-Assad. Yes, yeah. He's a dictator, but all of them are dictators. So, Every single one of them is a dictator. So here's breaking news. And tomorrow. they targeted him and destroyed the country. You have more than, you know now, you have 55% of the Syrian population is displaced. Made, made re refugees right. or, or displaced. And not, I, I, I lost count of how many people have died, actually. I know, it's sad. Here's some last-minute breaking news. You know who, who comes out? on the positive side of all this? I mean, there are no winners, but politically positive, Bashar al-Assad. Well, Bashar al-Assad actually- He's still there. He's still there, and he managed to, managed to carve himself a safe zone in Damascus, and in, in fact has gotten rid of many of these fighters who were kind of like, you know, a few years ago, everybody had written him off. They were saying, you know, next year... He'll be gone. He'll be gone. Guess what? You he's know, still there. He's still there. And, yeah, he's not the best choice. He's not the best choice. Or no, but, I don't know. But leave it to the Syrians to decide this. Once you start inviting foreign fighters, once look at all the Arab, so-called Arab Spring. The whole, you know, just, just examine the whole Arab Spring Probably the most successful experiment Tunisia. is Tunisia. That's Tunisia, it. by the way, they're having an election. Right. It's This is the second round, and they're having an election. They have some issues, and the issues, again, the issues that came into Tunisia is because of foreign intervention, Saudi Arabia supporting Al-Nahda party and whatever, pouring money. But if you left, left the Tunisians alone after the fall of uh, Ben Ali, you wouldn't have a single problem. But nevertheless, they're kind of probably will be the only successful experiment. Libya. Disaster. Who, what do we have? Libya, total disaster. NATO, tribes, Saudi Arabia buying them trucks. And by the way, ISIS. Them. And ISIS. And, is well, yeah, I mean, it, it, has the, it has its own branch in North, in North Africa. The Sahel, yeah. Totally, you know. Yemen, disaster. they turned it into Saudi Arabia. Up to today, they're bombing homes, destroying the country destroying its infrastructure, killing women and children. Up till today, they're doing it. And Egypt, it's a whole different scenario because we helped to bring back the military back into power. But I have to say, I hand it to Egypt in a way. They did a good job in preventing foreign fighters. Yeah, they did. So I can criticize Sisi's government, but because he comes from the military and the military are in control, they made sure that they were not going to allow any military intervention coming from out, outside. Yes, he did a lot of crazy things, and that's a different subject. We talked about it, but they've managed to protect the country from having infiltrators coming into the country. Right. And Syria, we just let it go into a mayhem, encouraged it, supported it. When we look at it, look how many people are in uh, Well, I think but that, uh, that's exactly right, Jamal. That's why I'm saying... If you think the unintended consequences of the invasion in Iraq based on lies and false testimony uh, was a disaster, you haven't seen anything yet. I think. Well, Iraq, well, by the way, which we will talk about it in, in a week or so, 
is just slipping into violence. Ab- that's my Major point. Major violence. But All the so-called security zones that were created. They're done. They're done. But that's essentially my point. We, meaning the United States foreign policy, is in essence creating these destabilized areas that are going to not be stabilized, Jamal, for generations upon generations. And the consequences, I mean, we think politically that it's not unreasonable that as a result of the Gulf War and what happened in Iraq and uh, uh, after 9-11 led to the creation of the opportunity for ISIS. What's happening in Syria now, ISIS 2.0, 3.0, 4.0 is going to happen. They have abandoned the caliphate notion for the time being, Jamal, and they are now involved in, um, you know, individualized uh, acts of, you know, terror, essentially. And they're going to continue to do that. It's going to be 10 times worse. Speaking of 10 times worse, let's use that as a segue to talk about Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani. Speaking of 10 times worse, your former mayor, Jamal. Does it get any worse <laughs> every week? Your former mayor, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> I li- he, he was never my mayor when I lived in New York. But I will just say that <laughs> anyway. one of my predictions that I left out that I wish I had, would have made is that Rudy Giuliani would be indicted and go to jail. Two of his best friends just got arrested, Jamal. They got arrested. One of them was trying to leave the country. I know. They got him at an airport. Uh, both of them were arrested at airports, actually. And they are, one is a Ukrainian citizen and one I, I'm, I, from another kind of uh, country nearby who were involved in heavy-duty heavy duty money laundering and campaign finance uh, illegalities, Jamal. These are close associates and friends of Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani apparently used these individuals as part of the attempt to get the Ukrainian government to dig up dirt on on Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, the ongoing story about using U.S. uh, diplomatic resources to undercut and to attack a potential future, you know, rival in the presidential election. It looks like Rudy Giuliani's uh, role in this is getting bigger. Uh, Secretary Perry, Rick Perry, uh, of the energy, uh, uh, you know, cabinet. He's in deep right now. The situation, Jamal, is getting really ugly. It's so ugly, it looks like the majority of Americans are now supporting an impeachment process and a plu- 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 polarity, plurality, sorry, of Americans actually believe that Donald Trump should be impeached. I think Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani, Jamal, are having a bad week, and the week isn't even over yet. Well, uh, actually, uh, when you were talking about a poll, and and a recent poll was uh, done by Fox, which was uh, shocking. Yeah, Donald Trump didn't like that. Didn't like that, because if Fox now showing some negative figures for Donald Trump, I don't know, uh, you know, how other polls, because he can always dismiss, and he has, he has been dismissing all the other polls and saying that's nonsense, fake media, fake polls. But then when his, uh, what I call it, uh, his mouthpiece station, Fox News, 
conducts a poll. Even though I have to say I've been monitoring Fox uh, recently, there's a change in the tone. Well, they they you know, realize they're in trouble outside outside their so-called uh, talk shows uh, or pundit shows, Hannity, etc. The news is getting better on Fox, and and I you know me, I don't I don't say this <laughs> lightly, but the news has been shifting its tone because they've been criticized. The one at the end of the day, when something happens and they've been fighting and fighting on behalf of Donald Trump and his children and Giuliani, etc., and then he gets impeached or worse than this, and then they're going to be in trouble because they've been just like being his PR machine. But you're right. Two foreign-born businessmen with ties to uh, Giuliani, Giuliani, by the way, is Trump's uh, lawyer, Personal were arrested lawyer. on campaign finance charges at an airport with one-way tickets, not a round trip, out of the country. I, 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 I'm trying to look where were they leaving from. Let me see. The two men, Lev Parnas, that's one, and Igor Fruman, that's the second one. They were arrested at in, in Washington, D.C., Dulles. Airport, International Airport, on Wednesday, as they, and this is from the U.S. Attorney Jeffrey Berman, as they were about to board an international flight. This is, uh, this is a statement by Jeffrey Berman, U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, said in a press conference on Thursday, right? So these guys, they've had many photos of them. They're having lunch with Giuliani. Where? At the Trump International <laughs> Hotel, hours before they attempted to skip the country. Just, Julia, this is, was, we're not talking about last month, last week. No, this was, is yesterday. No, but not the arrest, but also lunch. Lunch with Giuliani. Like Giuliani, just before they were having, they were seen, so they were photographed. They were having lunch with Giuliani at the Trump International Hotel, just hours before they attempted to skip the country. And uh, they were arrested, so... This will be very Well, I know that one of them is a Ukrainian, Jamal. The, second, the second one is, uh, uh, from what country did, did, did you see in that report? One is a Ukrainian national, American. The, well, the two men, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, I think they were both Ukrainian. Okay, okay. You know. So do you think that Rudy Giuliani is having a bad day, Jamal? Very bad day. In fact, I've been watching some analysis uh, by at least attorneys and former prosecutors, and they were saying he should be very worried. They he should be. They said he should be very worried. And then, of course, House Democrats leading the impeachment uh, issued subpoenas to Parnas and, Fr uh, and Fruman today, this morning. They issued, even though they got arrested because they want to, this is different, separate with the House Democrats. So they were ordered by the leaders of three House committees to provide documents and appear to testify as part of the impeachment probe into Trump. So this is when we get into the quid pro quo yep. aspect, and these guys might start singing like, like birds, birds because they want to well, you, you know, save themselves and then we'll find out more. So rather than spend the time in uh, whatever, in prison and wait until uh, get, they get... Um, indicted, etc. If they are forced through whatever, either uh, legal means or through bartering, like quid pro quo, we, we will be hearing from them sooner than Rather later. Rather than later. Yeah. Well, Jamal, I think um, 
it looks like I want to talk about two other people really quick because this is a very bad week for Donald Trump. The second thing that's happening is Vice President Pence, who also has been implicated. Yeah, I have a little statement for for uh, Vice President Mike Pence since he's so he's so pious. He's holier than thou. He's holier than thou. So Vice President Pence, do you remember there's this thing called the Ten Commandments? One of the commandments, Jamal, is thou shall not lie. So, Mr. Pius, Vice President Pence, you are going to receive a subpoena for all of the information and all of the records and all of the phone calls and emails and texts related to your conversations regarding the what was going on in Ukraine. Now, Mike Pence has made a statement that when he had his meetings with Zelensky, the president of Ukraine's uh, basically top advisor, that the, the issue of the Bidens, he said this, and I quote, never came up. Never came up. So, Vice President Pence, let us see. And I say this to the vice president. I say this to Rudy Giuliani, who's getting a, who got a subpoena, and to the White House, who is refusing to comply. If you have nothing to hide and you've done nothing wrong, why aren't you complying? What's the fear in showing the information, being transparent, if you have nothing to hide? You only hide something, Jamal, if you feel like you've done something wrong, it's consciousness of guilt. You you got caught. Sounds like uh, Trump's taxes. It, it's it's it sounds like a lot of these things are coming home to crash on the Trump kind of situation. So this is new because we have about ten minutes uh, on this topic. Uh, just uh, Trump uh, said he doesn't know that the, the, he doesn't know the two business associates of his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. And this is uh, from Trump's today at the South Lawn. He said, I don't know those, those gentlemen. Now, it's possible I have a picture with them because I have a picture with everybody. Trump told the reporters on the South Lawn of the White House. How could it be possible when That's he funny. is investigating Biden in the Ukraine and these guys, you know, he has his personal attorney go meet with them before they got arrested, before they were skipping the country. He ha doesn't know anything about them. And then he says, maybe I took a picture with them. So how does, I mean, I mean does this add up to you? It doesn't add up. And uh, Donald Trump seems to have a very bad memory for someone who's smarter than everybody else. He said that because now a photograph of Trump smiling with Giuliani and the businessman Igor Fruman and Lev Parnas has been published by various news outlets. So now, you know, yesterday you saw on TV the picture of, uh, uh, of one of them, at least, with uh, Giuliani. Right. Now there is one with the four. I never know who he is. I don't know these people. I don't know these people. <laughs> I take a lot of pictures with a lot of people. I don't know these people. But even though they're, they're brought to me by Giuliani, so he, did desire, uh, he says he doesn't know them. Of course, Fremen and Parnas, they are business associates. Like, you know, this is, I want to know more about this. When you say business associates, like, like it tells you that 
Giuliani has business dealings. I'd well, like that, to know more about the business dealings. But that's how Rick Perry's involved yeah, with this, so, too. So they are business associates of Giuliani who reportedly worked with him to press Ukraine to investigate unsubstantiated, I have to say, allegations against former Vice President Joe Biden and 2016 elections interference. So I'd like to know more about this. Is, this, is it a one-off thing? No, none of this. Or is. what other business that they have? Because, you know, Giuliani, I don't know. I, thought, I, I don't trust this guy. I mean, every time he says something, two minutes later, he's worse than Trump. He'll change his story in the same sentence. In the same sentence, he'll change his story. Well, I think people who are listening to this, Jamal, whether or not you're a Democrat, Republican, and independent or progressive, you should be listening to this information and um, really be concerned about what's happening to, to the United States, what's happening internationally. It's my opinion that the Trump instability as a person is having a ripple effect throughout this government and internationally. People are appear like with Erdogan that you have a personal relationship with Trump. You can bypass the State Department. You can bypass the Pentagon. You can bypass the EU and you can get goodies. That's basically the deal here. You do a deal with Donald Trump who uses state power politically and economically to leverage his needs rather than what's in the best interest of the United States. So I don't care if you're a Democrat, Republican, I don't care what your political party affiliation is or no affiliation. You need to wake up to this. This is really bad news. Very bad. So we have five minutes left. What else have you been looking at? Well, I, I, there's another thing that happened yesterday which is bad news for Trump. Forbes, I think, uh, published something. I think it's Forbes. Rex Tillerson in his first public I saw that, yeah, yeah Rex Tillerson in his first public statement about Trump alluded to the fact that Trump had asked him to do illegal things <laughs> and what and the, yeah he said he said uh, I want to see actually what what he said he was being interviewed by Bob Schieffer in Texas okay and then Bob Schieffer apparently asked him well why did you you know why did you resign how come it didn't work out and Rex Tillerson cryptically said, well, we have different styles. I like details and science, essentially. Donald Trump does whatever he wants. Plus, he asked me to do illegal things, and I wasn't going to do Did he that. use the word illegal? Yes. He used the word illegal. No, he used the word crime. Crime. Donald Trump wanted me to commit crimes. He said that? Yes. I, so, I, I missed this one because yeah. I know that he was in the news. And so I here's know the crime. Do you want to know the crime? The crime is, and unfortunately or fortunately goes back to Turkey, and it ties into Iran, and one of the wealthiest, wealthiest, wealthiest people in Turkey is a Turkish-Iranian uh, financier who apparently has been laundering billions of dollars internationally to help get by the Iranian, um, basically, sanctions against, economic sanctions against Iran. So it's this... Iranian Turkish businessman who's been using his business to basically launder money back into Iran uh, was arrested in the United States in 2016. Apparently, Trump got a call. I think it probably was from Erdogan mm. and said, hey, can you hook up my my friend here? I don't want him to go to jail. And it's that's when Trump asked 
Tillerson to see if he could squeeze the Department of Justice to make this go away. Wow. It, it, it's that even Rex Tillerson said no. Rex Tillerson says no, that's illegal, Mr. President. That's a crime. He goes and tells John Kelly at the time, the chief of staff. And then what we find out later is that yep. Donald Trump asked Rudy but, Giuliani to do the same uh, thing. By the way, this uh, Iranian Turkish is a gold trader. Yeah. A gold trader. And you're right. Uh, he uh, pressed, pressed Tillerson to help persuade, persuade the Justice Department to drop a criminal case against him. And so Tillerson refused, arguing it would constitute interference, because I wanted to see what he said, in an ongoing investigation of the trader. His name is Reza Zarab. His name is Reza Zarab. This is according to some of his, uh, I guess, according to some people. And they, they said other participants in the Oval Office were shocked by Trump's request. And T- Tillerson immediately repeated his uh, objections to then-Chief of Staff John Kelly in a hallway conversation just outside the Oval Office. You know, they were all shocked, like, is it for real this guy's asking me of course to, it's do, real. To, to do this? Why are you so shocked? Emphasizing that the, that the request would be illegal. Neither episode has been previously reported, and all of the people spoke on condition of anonymity due to the sensitivity of the conversation. Uh, the White House is now declining to comment on this. Uh, Kelly and Tillerson declined to comment via uh, representatives. Another person familiar with the matter said that the, that the Justice Department never considered dropping the criminal case and Zarab was being uh, prosecuted in federal court in New York. And it's like every day there is some criminal Jamal. or nefarious act. Listen. <laughs> something. Listen. Something. It's only Thursday. It's only Thursday. And, and, and tomorrow, every day. And tomorrow we're going to hear more. You know what I hear about this? Because some of these people like Tillerson, which we knew back then, you know, he sat there early on. Everybody kind of like hailed him as this great brain. And that we are so lucky to have him as Secretary of State. And he was like, oh, you know, in the beginning, Trump is a great person. Thank you for the job. Then afterwards, he leaves. He's, he's disgruntled, blah, blah, blah. And he, did, he really didn't say a word about these things. No, that's and, what I said. And, he said it at this interview. At this interview. But then you know, in a few years, it's going to all come out. Anyway. And it's going wor- to be worse than what we know now. Well, on that bombshell, uh, we want to say thank you for listening to to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. Check us out at ArabTalk.com, ArabTalkRadio.com. Sorry about that, where you could check out all our podcasts and check out uh, the live stream on Facebook, Jamal Dijani, too. And that's right. We'll talk to you next week.